spoken me. I went to sleep that night without knowing that it would be the last night I ever spent in that bed at my parents' house in London. Meredith, my mum shook me awake. The room was dark, making it obvious it wasn't morning yet, or not time to get up for school anyway. Mum, I mumbled in my half-asleep state. It's time to go. Everything I told you about those stories is true. It's time for you to leave us so you can train to be a protector. Your dad and I, we've done everything we possibly can to prepare you. First Charge is the first book in the Destiny Initiative series by Amanda Steele. The book can be purchased in paperback from Amazon. The e-book can also be purchased on Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books and many others. Spoken Thank you today for tuning in to Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and as of recording has over 200 sessions in our archive. Although the podcast can be heard on Anchor, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, YouTube and literally 10 or 11 other networks, the full archive can be found at Spoken Label, all one word, spokenlabel.bandcamp.com. On Bandcamp, it is set as pay what you want. So you are entitled, if you wish, you can download it or stream it for nothing. But if you're going to throw me a couple of pennies my way, it is always a term they're grateful to help me maintain the operating costs and future running costs for this podcast. Enjoy. Spoken Label. Hi guys, Andy N, Spoken Label, back in the house. Going Zoom again today. Going down a bit further down south to an area I've never been to, but I know of it. So, And we've got a gentleman with us, and usually from the Harlow in Essex area, and I do know that area because my goddaughter, at one point, lived in that area. So, so, but anyway, um, I'll let him introduce himself. We'll jump straight into it. Marky, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them who Hi, you are. Uh, t- tell them where you came from originally, where you are now, and we'll take it from there. Man. Right. Hi, I'm Marky Mark Simmons. Um, I was born in Essex, um, but having lived up in Northumberland and then settled in Northampton for the last 40 odd years. All right, so did you did you move away from Essex quite early on then, you then take it? Yeah, I, w- I was a baby when I moved away um, and we lived up in Northumberland in Ashington um, which is famous for the Charlton Brothers, legendary ah. football. Oh, um, oh, cool. Yeah, and so we, mo- we moved up there and then uh, when I was about seven we moved down to Northampton uh, through so, through the labour exchange, um, and I've lived down here ever since. Um, and one of my one of my pieces of poetry that I've written um, is actually written of my memories of Ashington. Oh, cool, cool. I might have to persuade you to read that later on for me in the second half. Uh, yeah, that would be great. Yes. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. So it's, I think it's always good when you're doing your poetry and you tell give people stories and memories where you've grown up in different yeah. places. I've done pieces like that myself, uh-huh. of course. Brilliant. Okay, of people who have guessed, obviously, we're here today to talk about your poetry. So, I mean, you've got quite an interesting story here because you're telling me, or telling me off mic before that you're registered as dyslexic, weren't you, when you were 46? Now, yeah. did your poetry come before that then, or, or has it come since then, really? Um, a bit of both, really. Uh, uh, my earliest memories, I mean, I, I grew up like a lot of kids of my age. My my poetry influences would have been people like Pamez, 
Um, and, and I guess my the poetry I did very early on as a kid was with song lyrics, and I would work song lyrics into poems. Um, I was particularly into Gary Newman at the time, and, and a lot of his stuff worked quite well into, into poetry. And then I didn't do any, and then I met my wife um, some sort of 26, 27 years ago now, and we'd go out for a walk and we'd sit by the lake, and I'd just come up with either ridiculous poetry or love poetry, you know, real softy stuff. Um, and that was it. And then once I got diagnosed at 46, I went and done my GCSE English again and passed that. Um, and then I, I, I just one day had this poem come into my head and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I haven't stopped since. Um, you know, and, and it's very much a case of there's, there's various things that influence. Sometimes it's what comes to me at 3 a.m. in the morning can be completely out of the blue. Or it could be that something's happened um, in my life that I want to write about. Or it could be there's a new story and I, I want to make a statement about this. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it, sometimes it is like it's when you're writing. I've come across doing all these podcasts and we get some people, like in my case, I've been writing since I was a child. And like I said, yours is just a trigger, wasn't it? As an adult, and you just it just kind of carried on and on and on then really hasn't it? So, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. And, now, and I think some of it as well was the case of when I, I, I would do it, and I, I got quite good reactions. I was putting stuff on Facebook, and I started my blog with some really basic poems, um, and I was getting some good reactions to it. And I think for me, it was the fact I'd been diagnosed dyslexia with dyslexia. It was kind of like putting a thumb up at it and going, yeah. I'm going to show you I can do this. Um, and it was kind of like, whereas I'd struggled at school in terms of keeping up with people, with, with other people and how they write and, and speed and things like that, suddenly I didn't have to. Suddenly I could be me. I could express what I wanted in a way I wanted. Um, and, and as you probably see from my poetry, that I don't follow a normal form of poetry. Um, I tend to write free verse which suits me fine because I don't have to make sure I've, I've got so many words per line or so many lines of stanza and, and things like that. I can just write. And, and that for me is really helpful. Yeah. No, I get you completely with it. Now, do you want to tell people a bit about, obviously, I found this instrument we were talking about before, this word for hearing this again, I think. You're telling about the reading speeds you used to do at school, didn't you? And you were saying, like, obviously, yeah, that, I found that really interesting. Like, it turned into what you said yeah. before, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, as I say, when I was at school, um, you know, I, I thought I was reading really well and, and quite fast. And yet everybody else would finish books way before me. Um, and, and I found if I read books for pleasure, um, I had to reread them because you get partway through and think, hang on, where does that fit in? And you kind of, you'd lose that. And it wasn't until I, I was diagnosed with dyslexia that I realised that some of that is about the what's affected is your short-term memory as yeah, well. Yeah, I've got that. Dyslexia. People you know, think got it's that. just writing backwards. Yeah. 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 And, it, and, yeah. Uh, and until somebody points it out to you, and it kind of all starts to fit in and you, and you realise why you do things. And like the teacher would be writing on, on the, what we called blackboards and now chalkboards or whiteboards, and they would roll them over. They were like big things that you could roll over. And, and you'd be writing stuff down, copying it from the blackboard. And everybody's fin finished that bit and the teacher's rolled it over. And you're like, 
so if you roll it back a bit, I'm finished. And and you you feel like you're going to break next speed, and yet you're not keeping up with everybody else. And it's nothing to do with intelligence. And that's the thing. It, it it's been associated with that people are thick and that, but it's nothing to do with intelligence. You know. It, it's got. It really has nothing to do with that. You can be extremely intelligent or not so intelligent. You can still have dyslexia. Yeah, I think you're dead right with that. I agree with you. Know, I know certainly when I was going through it when I was a child, it was interesting because obviously they didn't pick it up those sort of things when certain I can when a couple of years younger than you. Mm. They never picked it up at that age. But how? What do you think to the theory of it's hereditary? It runs in your family's genes. I think it is. My daughter um, was showing a lot of the signs that I had and, and, and expressing a lot of the feelings I had at school. Um, and that started alarm bells ringing with me. And we eventually got her tested. Um, and yeah, she, she's been diagnosed now with dyslexia. And, and it's like a breath of fresh air because suddenly she can understand why she can't, you know, why when it says 30 minutes homework, it takes her three hours, you know. Yeah. And, you used to and so, me like and, that, certainly. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I, you've been able to yeah. say to the school, look, you know, the an hour, three hours homework is it on, yeah? If she does an hour, and she might not complete it, but for her, that hour is the best she can do, and that's what you get. Yeah, completely, completely. Now, I want to ask you a little bit more about your poetry, obviously, about you. Now, yeah. Obviously, like I said before, I know we'll come up to your book shortly, but when did, when did you first start performing your poetry? Um, I, guess it, I guess it was shortly after writing. I, I was putting stuff on um, Facebook and I came across an event and I think the first one I went to was, um, was Run Your Tongue in Catherine. Mm. Um, and I went there to see what it was all about and... Um, I, I got up on the stage and I, I read it and it, and it sound, didn't sound brilliant. Um, and there was a, a couple of other gigs that I went to um, in pubs and that, and I, I read my stuff and I, I just saw all these fantastic performers like uh, Kezabel Ambler and uh, Jemima Hughes. And, and I'm, due speak, due, I'm due to speak to Kez soon, actually, Phil. She's oh, right, uh, my next one podcast. Yeah. speaking to her this, this Sunday, actually. So, <laughs> so, oh, brilliant. Well, yeah. well I... I I got involved later on with Weaving Words, which Kezabel runs, and it, and it's a like a writers' collective, and you get together, and it and it's really good for sort of stimulating the brain and and, and writing fresh stuff um, and sharing stuff. But yeah, so and it, and it gradually it kind of became a bit of an addiction, and and I did script stuff that mainly around Northamptonshire. Um, I did some in Peterborough as well, um, Muse in Peterborough. But yeah, it, it really, um, it was kind of seeing, seeing these people on the stage and, and you kind of think, oh my, I, I can't ever perform like that. And you feel very inferior. Yeah. Um, and, but you have to learn to, you have to learn your craft and you also have to learn to own it. And, yeah, and it's quite easy to sit there and think, oh, wow, I want to be like them. And, and I was doing that. And I think actually not performing on stage at the moment and doing Zoom, um, doing performances over Zoom, and we're doing them all over the world. I mean, you know, Saturday nights, I'm in Nashville as part of the Midnight Poets. Um, 
and I've done Australia, you know, I'm regularly up in Scotland performing all, all from the comfort of my home um, and meeting other poets and talking to them and what, and what that, you know, they were saying, own the space. Your yeah, space, I agree. be you, own it. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and that, that's been a real thing for me to actually get my style across and not try and be other people's style. Yes, I get influenced by other people. I've been watching a lot of Benjamin Zephyriah stuff at the moment. Um, and, you know, that, that has an influence on you as well as sort of thinking, ah, oh, got some ideas to do this. But it's about owning it and doing it your own way as well. Um, and and you don't have to be a slam poet. You don't have to, you know, give this almighty performance. You know, there's there's people on Zoom who are reading their poetry in such a way that it's not even it's not necessarily a performance, but they read in such a way that you just bathe in this stuff, and and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm like that really because I'm the sort of writer. I'm really a page poet. But I know that confident yeah. in the work with better pieces, more known pieces, I could go and do like a crop of a hat. Yeah. And have people sat there spellbound thinking he's not a performance poet, but we believe every word he's saying. And it's, I think no. pieces can cross over if you get the delivery right yeah. sometimes completely. So, yeah, I agree completely there. So, yeah. But I think also, you know, we, we have this image of performance poetry as it, as it has to be this, this huge performance. And, and you, you see the poets um, who will do stuff completely from memory. Um, but what, what's actually happened, particularly on Zoom, is a lot of people are reading an awful lot of stuff rather than sticking to two or three poems and just repeating those every time they go to an event. Um, so we're seeing such diversity in poetry. Even people who would just sit there and read, read their poem, they might put some intonation behind it. They might, I mean, one poet that has absolutely blown everyone away um, who, who does some spoken word is Kathy Carson in yes. Ireland. Who I'm going to speak to Kathy because I want to get her on. want to get her on spoken yeah. label. I've heard her a few times and, yeah, her, her, her stories and her, her prose and that is just mesmerising. And, and that's Cathy. I, I can't do that. I, I can't be Cathy. Um, but then Cathy will say, I can't be you. You know, what you do scares the hell out of me. You know, this is what I do. Um, and so it, it, I think it's great to see other people. It's great to get ideas and, and see what works and what doesn't. But I think you've got to be true to yourself. And actually, there's nothing wrong with sitting there with a big book <laughs> and, and oh, doing poetry. <laughs> um, yeah. So, what are you like? Um, yeah, it, what are you like enough to do dyslexia? Because I mentioned the dyslexia point of view. When I go on stage, I can't memorise because of dyslexia. It knocks my short term memory out to spout. But um, I lost long term. Yeah. But I have to have a piece of paper in front of me to read your poems. Like, Can you do it without your piece of paper? Um, no, I mean, I, I'm one of these modern poets. I, I tend to use um, electronic kit on stage, so I, I read off, a kit, off my Kindle and stuff. Um, but I, I could probably do it, but it would take me a lot of practice, literally, you know, day after day, just reciting and reciting and reciting to remember one poem. And I think that would limit me in some ways in that I might take three poems around 
for months. And actually, you know, if, if you're doing six or seven events in a month, you kind of, next time you want to go, you feel like you want to take something fresh. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it would be difficult. I could do it, but it would take a lot of practice and, uh, and that. So, and because some of the stuff I do is very pacey, uh, particularly some of the political things, and you get that rhythm going. Um, sometimes it you kind of I, I, I kind of start to fall over words, etc. And and some of that's part of my dyslexia. Um, so having that crib there, it just keeps you on on pace. Yeah, you're going to be interviewing Kezabel, um soon, and she always has hers in front of her. As well, and he's a fantastic performance poet. Um, so he kind of gives you that crib, and and you know I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And and more and more, you see people standing there actually reading off Kindles and phones, and that. I think it's whatever works for you. Yeah, no, I agree. I tend to put a piece of paper normally, but that's because my eyesight really. <laughs> I'm partly sighted as well. Yeah. So I'm what I'm, yeah. I'm eye on. So yeah, no, I'll get you. So quickly. I mean, the beauty the beauty with paper is you you don't have to scroll through it. Um, and I, I've, I'm gradually going to start going over towards print-offs and things like that for that reason, um, because you don't have to scroll through your Kindle, and every now and again you might tap it and something comes up, you've got to get rid of it. <laughs> so it's all about developing that craft, really. Really, yeah, no, great. Now, obviously, we're here today to primarily talk, and we've done this in a very roundabout way, which is very me, really, and I suspect you as well, mate, to talk about your book, yeah. aren't we? Rhythm of the Evening. Yes. Now, um, yeah. as of recording, um, this has been recorded a couple weeks before Christmas, and it'll be going out in January, of course, in 2021. And your book's going to be out somewhere around about the point of this podcast, actually, by chance. Yeah. We're yeah. hoping the end of January, beginning of February, um, as soon as I've got a definite date, and that'll be all over social media. As I expect, um, is the best way. <laughs> Yeah, and, and what I've done, I mean, since I started writing it about, I think it's 2016, 2017, I, I started off doing my blog, which has probably got about 150 pieces on it. I stopped doing that for a while, and, and, and that was about I wanted to publish stuff in a book um, or in pamphlets, and there was a lot going around at the time saying, well, people actually wouldn't accept um, submissions if you put them online, which includes blogs, blogs, social blogs, yeah. Um, so most of my new stuff from the last couple of years isn't on my blog yet. It will be. Um, so what I've I've gone down the route, um, partly because of uh, of lockdown and and having the time to do it now, um, is I thought right, I've got to get I've got to get some written material out there. Um, I, I want, you know, I want to start putting my collection out there. Um, and so so I sat down and started putting it together. Um, and there's around, at the moment, um, it's in its infancy. It's gone off to the publishers and there'll be a bit of to and fro into, you know, we might take the odd bit out and put a bit in and things like that. But there's around 50 poems in there. It's about 100 pages. Um okay. And it, it's called Rhythm of the Ink, the first wave. Okay, well, I always like to ask questions. 
why Rhythm of the Ink, then, the first wave as a title? Right. Rhythm of the Ink, I kind of have branded myself with, with that because I think, you know, because I, I do a mixture of written poetry and, um, for want of a better word, performance or spoken word poetry. Um, so it's kind of very rhythmic. Poet, poetry for me is very rhythmic. I use mainly rhyming poetry as well. Um, and the first wave is kind of the first wave of my poetry. So it's kind of the, the first lot. But in, in that, what I've done is mixed some of my original stuff that I've written with some mm. of the new stuff. And, and it's the first wave that will wash over you. And so that's the thinking behind it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point. Good way of doing it, that. I think what you've done is, tell me if you're wrong with this, I get the impression it's almost like your greatest hits so far, isn't it? Um, or it, not that's a great hits, but I want you to with a good representation of yourself up to date. I get the feeling. I, I think it is, but I, when I was writing it, I I thought, well, I've got so much here. How do I do it? And I kind of tried to tell, tried to move it through a journey through me, almost um, a journey through my thinking, through my life. Um, so there's a section on bullying, for instance, mm. um, because I've written so I've written several poems around bullying. Um, there, there's one on social media. There's one on anxiety. So there, there's some, you know, there's all sorts of bits and pieces in there. There, there are there's stuff on dyslexia. There's other stuff on senses and and that. So I've tried to mix and, and tried to give a good. Um, a good representation of what I do and a good mixture of what I do. It, it's very easy to, particularly at the moment, the stuff we're doing on Zoom, where you're doing a lot of political things. And sometimes you get branded then as a political poet, when actually you're not just writing political stuff, you're writing all sorts of stuff, but actually for the time, the political stuff is, is what comes out. Um, yeah, no, and so clearly. this was about showing people that I, I do a whole range of poetry, not just the political, not just the deep anxiety, not just the crazy brain stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, good luck, mate. Definitely with that one. I've got to ask you as well. How did you how did you find out about Mel Mel Wardle Woodend? I love Mel. Right. I've had her on spoken label twice now. Fantastic lady, yeah. grateful. <laughs> oh, she she's wonderful. I, I found out about her. I did a spoken... Uh, I, word Stafford had a spoken word... Right, um, yeah. A, a spoken word event on, and, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I wouldn't mind doing that. And so that's how I met Mel, and she, she's been at various other Zooms, etc. Um, and then I she asked me if I would... Um, be part of a thing she did around... Well, there was two things I did with Mel. One was Poetic Vision, where she, she actually compiled a, a, a book of pictures um, that photographers had taken, and then poets matched um, poems to those pictures. And that's oh, been printed, yeah. and, and it was actually done to raise money for Guide Dogs for the Blind. Um, and I got a piece in there um, called Cry, Cry of the Dark, so, and then she also asked me to do a piece where she, she was promoting um, dyslexia um, during National Dyslexia Week 
And as you know, Dreamwell Printing, which is the printing press that I'm using, um, she specializes in a dyslexic font. So it's easier for people to read. Um, and so she asked me if I, she knew I was dyslexic and asked me if I would do some open mic stuff on that, um, along with a collective of other dyslexic people. Um, so that's how I met Mel. And then I saw the quality of the Poetic Vision book that she did. And I thought, right, I'll, I'll approach her. And we, we had a conversation and uh, by mutual agreement, we decided to do it. Brilliant. No, no. Great stuff. No, sounds great idea, mate. Good luck, mate. Definitely, mate, that one. So, right. Um, okay. Do you have any sort of plans of doing like a launch for this that when it comes out in next year? Are you not sure yet? Yeah, we, we're hoping to launch. I mean, the way things are going, it will probably be a Zoom launch, um, which actually is not so bad because obviously what we've, what we've managed to do is, you know, we've met so many people from all over the world that, you know, the Zoom launch seems the best way because then so many, you know, people from Australia and America and Brazil, et cetera, can all, you know, take part in that if they want to. Um, but, yeah, we'll have a formal launch and then I'm hoping to do some guest spots at a couple of events around that time, um, which will be focusing probably my sets or probably focus on work from my book. Um, and so we'll take it from there. So we're gradually building things up. And obviously, nearer the time, my social media campaign will, will burst into more life um, about the book and, and things like that. And the book uh, as well, I've, the uh, forward in the book has actually been written by an Australian poet, um, Kelly Van Nelson, who is now the number one selling poet in Australia. Yes, I've been speaking um, to Kelly as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm really honoured that she um, agreed to do that for me. Um, and again, you know, we, I, I see Kelly very often, very regularly on the Zoom, poetry, etc. I, I didn't know she was number one selling in Australia, so making a note. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I love about chatting people like you, Marky. Like it's, I know stuff and you know stuff. And sometimes it's great you get to take that information on people, definitely. So, <laughs> right, yeah. mate, listen. And, and that, that's great. And, and to be honest, that's how the, the poetry community has really built over, lock, over you know, the, the lockdowns and, and things like that. Because different people, you meet different people at events and you mention another event and then next minute, you know, everybody's dived onto that event. So you might have an event that might have only had 10 people, 15 people, and suddenly there's 30 and 40 poets queuing up all to their own per mic because everybody's sharing with everybody else. And, you know, we're all going to the same things. But we're also doing different stuff. I mean, I've done a couple of fringes. I did um, a Bradford fringe as well. Um, and I've just had some, along with several other poets, as part of... Uh, um, piece that was done by um the press that prince kelly's books it was it was done for them make magic happen and it was a home and away poet so there was australian poets and international poets and we pre-recorded um and then streamed into the melbourne festival so our work's gone out all over the world really Brilliant. That's a good idea to me, mate. Right, okay. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions about future projects now to conclude right. with, or second blasting concluded. I know you've been telling me before as well, weren't you, 
that you can you're considering writing some children's stories, aren't you, as a possible future project? Well, yes. I, I apart from poetry, I do write flash fiction. Um, although I haven't, I've concentrated on the poetry the last sort of eighteen months. Um, but I also, uh, some time ago, wrote a child's um, for very young children about Snufflepuff the dragon. And I tried it out on some local children and they were absolutely loved it. And so what I want to do is develop that into probably a series of small books for children um, and see if I can get a publishing deal on that um, and put that out. So, yeah, that, I'm also developing my YouTube channel. I've just had a couple of videos. Next one will drop on Thursday. Um, and um, I'll put a couple of videos on there that, uh, Dre Zero's actually helped me with and, and done some of the atmospherics on it. I love Dre. I love Dre. Do you actually know yeah, I do a podcast? Did, did you know I do a podcast of him? Say that again. Did you, did do you know I do a podcast of him? Do you? <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. We do a wrestling podcast. Oh, uh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's right. He's, he's really into his wrestling. He's bonkers, um, but I love him. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and and then the other thing, I probably early next year after the book launch, I want to follow up probably with CD. Um, and some downloads as well, because I mean we 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 kind of need to start moving into those areas that that the areas of media that people are taking um, poetry and all sorts of things from is downloads and and CDs and things like that. So I'm going to be looking at, at getting some of that sort of stuff done. And again, that gives people if I if I go to open mics, I've got something to give away to people, or you know people can can contact me and say you know have you got some of your stuff that i can listen to so you know there, there's a whole range of things but i think for me it's been about just planning that and again that's where kezabel helped out because i, I contacted kezabel and said look this is what i want to do and, and she kind of talked me through and said well you know you need to decide where you want to go the, these are some contacts try this try that and and then it, it kind of made me refocus on everything, um, you know, and, and start building things up and, and that. But again, build them at, at my pace. No, good luck, mate. Definitely with it. So sounds great fun. Now, if people want to find out more about you, where are you the best going? Uh, right. Well, there's several places. They can go on my Facebook page. If they put um, Rhythm of the Ink into Facebook, now it should get me up. Or Marky Mark Simmons. Um, I'm on Instagram um, and I'm on Twitter and also they can go to my blog, which is rhythmoftheink.com. Fantastic. Right. Okay, that's all my questions today. So should we take a quick break? Let you get a few yeah. poems together and we'll come straight back yeah. to them in a couple of moments. Is that okay, Mark? Okay, brilliant. Wicked. Great stuff today. I've enjoyed it. Right. right. Hanging out, everybody. I'm looking forward to this. See you in a minute. Spock on me. Hi, guys. Still in my market. Over to you, buddy. I know you're going to do four poems for us today, so go for it, mate. Okay, this first one's called Pineapple Fritter and Chips. And this was the run I wrote about my memories of being in Northumberland when, as a kid, I, my mum worked in a chip shop there. And I used to, during the school holidays, I would go to the chip shop and I would sit on the windowsill and I'd, I'd eat, eat pineapple fritter and chips. And so this, this was um, the poem I wrote about it. In a northeastern town where the pits have long since closed down and a big Geordie scrapes coal from the head of the mine. 
There stands a chip shop that smells so divine where I sat on whitewashed windowsills at lunchtime. The smell of battered fish, of pies and sausage, mingled and lingered with vinegar and salt, splashed on hot chips and bags of battered bits. In my shorts, I would sit with my wooden fork in hand, admiring golden potatoes and the batter on the ring of the pineapple, atop a portion steaming in my lap. The vinegar pulled at the bottom, dragging the salt with it. The blow of the chip, gingerly nibbling the end in anticipation of that burning sensation on my lip and the exploration of taste upon my buds as I devoured those fried chipped spuds. Batter crispy but soggy inside gave up the sweetness of the pineapple ring, which it did hide. The juice, as I bit it, rolled around my tongue, clearing the palate of the sharpness that the chips had brought. Customers came to and fro to buy the last of the food to go. I watched as mum served up the golden heaven in newspaper, which enhanced the vapour. Soon would come the polis. There were two, standing drinking tea, and having a free lunch too, incentivised them to stay while takings were counted for the day. I finished my chips, the smell so divine, greasy paper with damp residue is all that's left behind. Now I'm a man and those days are long gone, but as soon as I smell the unmistakable aroma, I'm back in that northeastern town on the windowsill with pineapple fritter and chips, and the occasional pack of battered bits. Fantastic. Really, really evocative, that. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad I asked you to do I kind of persuaded you to do that one, Mark. So I think it gives you a really good feel for you, who you are as a person there, as your background. So brilliant stuff, mate. Thank you for that. <laughs> right. This next one is called Bullied for Life. And, and I wrote this, many poets write as healing. Um, and I think for me, it, it was, it was time to get it out, to get it out on paper. And so I wrote this and I've performed it on several occasions and it hits home. I have people come up to me afterwards and go, that was me. You wrote that about me. So this is called Bullied for Life. I wanted to punch them in the face, yet I wanted to hurt another member of the human race. I wanted to hit them and keep hitting them until their face bled crimson red, nose distorted, my boot mark on their head. Smashing and bashing and crashing, releasing all my anger, my energy, until they stop. But stopping wasn't enough. I wanted to hurt them, abuse them, batter and bruise them, and keep on hitting them until I drop. I wanted them to stop bullying, name-calling, the sly remarks, the hurt inside that caused the feelings to die. But I'd just stand there and take it. You see, I didn't dare hit them. I was scared. They might hit me back, punch me, kick me, break my back. Emotions high. I'd just stand and cry. I so wanted them to die. The thought of getting caught into trouble 
used to make my stomach tighten and bubble, the fear knotted up in me, as bad as the pain from the names. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Ah, wise words from those who had not a clue, who did not face it every day, day in, day out. Strong people who could give the bully a clout. The people bullies stayed away from, detecting instantly who they could hurt and who would punch their lights out. Fat twat, fatty, hey, fatty bum bum, cry baby, the list went on. Every day, in every way, they could drive linguistic knives to slay, knowing they hurt and that I was weak. Every word cutting my body, my whole physique shook, clenched fists trying to resist. I tried to ignore them, but they hit me and cut me with more insults and abuse, words to disturb, making threats to keep me at heel. I was never sure whether they were real. Yet to me, they were. Man up, you're too sensitive, parents would say. They had no idea how I felt. No words they could say would ever make the pain go away. I had no idea how long these memories would take to heal. Every morning was a brand new day. Go to school and more the same, slowly driving me insane. I shouldn't have depression at 11 years old. I remember dad speaking to the doctor, explaining I was depressed, distressed. Yeah, it was a fucking mess. Make him laugh, the doctor said, as if that could cure the hatred inside that so wanted me dead. The memories of fear running through my head, I wanted to cry. The only reason that I didn't die was because I was too scared to cry, to try the desperate angst in my body, in my mind, leaving mum and dad and knowing they would be sad. Fuck it, there I go again. I was thinking of others before myself, not wanting to hurt anyone, taking all the self-blame. What if I failed and it didn't work, having to face the bully again? So instead, I lose myself in music in the safety of my home, where no one can reach me and I can be alone. Headphones blaring, dulcet tones of bands that spoke to me and painted pictures of the underdog's fight that gave me words to describe my plight. They spoke to me of love and the fight, of feeling all right, of dreaming of wires and presenting arms of one in ten and invisible sons. The rest of my life panned out the same. Useless at everything, A for effort, but little to gain. Still having to show restraint when over and over it happens again where I hurt inside with the cutting pain as time ebbs away down the drain. But now I can kill them and inflict pain from deep within my dyslexic brain, slaying them with words, killing them with prose, open the mic, let this sage go, destroying their secrets that only I know, killing the bullies one by one on the page and on the stage. Their day of reckoning has finally come and in my head I've finally won. Superb, superb again, that marking. I can well relate to that one myself growing up there because I got bullied myself at school and it's it wasn't easy times. I'm glad I've, I've, I found them, but I've moved on, but you still, you don't, you might forgive, but I always find I never forget. So, yeah, and I think though you've moved, you move on, that experience stays with you through your life and it and it impacts on so many things. And yeah, no, and agree. that's really you know you you don't really see that come out until you know further down um, <laughs> the road, and you think, oh gosh, you know that's 
that's why that's happening. Something okay. a bit different now called Summer Days. And this, I, I wrote a whole load of uh, poetry, one very hot summer um, when I was feeling in a really good mood. And so I've, I've revisited these over Zoom. Um, so this is called Summer Days. Sweaty, sticky, tacky heat. Talking about the change in weather with everyone you meet. Rotary fans and ice cream vans. People making holiday plans. Windows down on cars and vans. Babies out in bush chairs and prams enjoying the heat with their mams. Barbecues start to be used. Sausage and chicken and burgers. Finger licking. Washing it down and with a drink of your picking, flip-flops and shorts and summer dresses, children in swimwear, hats on their hair, playing for hours without a care. Venture out if you dare, sun cream on your body, hat on your head, protection from sunburn going red, lager and lime or grapes from the vine, the bottle of water from the tap, checking the forecast on the app and looking for the seaside on the map. Then comes the night, all sticky and hot. Pyjamas, or maybe not. On top of the duvet, the breeze on your knees, all the pollen that's made you sneeze. A lack of sleep, daylight creeps on the bed in a heap. Get up early, out of bed, you leap into the cold shower to raise you from a deep sleep. On with the shorts and vest. You are already a sweaty mess. The summer is here to stay and you want to make the most of every day. Fantastic, then, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, come on. Sorry, I thought, I thought you were carrying on then. <laughs> <laughs> and if, oh, what I want to do is finish with a piece that I wrote um, during lockdown. Again, it's quite a powerful piece. Um, but a reasonably short piece. And it was written about the events that happened in America with George Floyd. And this is called Mum, I Can't Breathe. Mum, I can't breathe. My lungs don't fill with air. I'm dying here and you're not there. Mum, I need air. I can't breathe. This virus has got me, and no amount of PPE will protect as it crushes the life from me. I'm drowning and want to flee. If I die, the population will take to one knee. This virus is systemic, pandemic, rooted in our population, white supremacist, bigoted minds. This virus mutates time after time. But still, families grieve and mum. I can't breathe. Laying here, unable to move, your voice I need to soothe. This virus just won't move. It's been following me all my life, putting me down, holding my wings, scared I might take flight. Tonight, you'll cry. And I don't know why, but today, I'm going to die. Mum, I can't breathe as much as I try. Mum, I can't breathe. This virus is choking me, making me heave. The world will watch in disbelief. 
joining you in your grief. Watch this virus, for it wears a cloak that protects it while its toxicity chokes. It lurks under cover of white man's power of political statements in ivory towers from every day hate they all cower. Mum, I can't breathe. Mum, it's time to leave this racist world to where I know not. And mum, I can't breathe. Mum, I can't breathe. Mum. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you again, that Mark. He's a really good selection out there, mate. We pieces. Yeah. Are all four going to be in the book or take it then, are they? Um, there's, a, there's some of them are going to be in the book. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you too many because actually we, we might actually, in the editing process, take some out and yeah. add some in. But there, there are one or two of those that will appear in the book. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they will certainly be there. Uh, but if they're not, ones that don't appear in this book will certainly appear in future books. As I say, I've got so much material now um, that I need to do something with it. Yeah, no, I'll get you completely. I can tell that brilliant. Well, good luck with it, mate. So keep in touch. So now, thank you. Yes, thank you again, mate. It's been a pleasure today. So hang around. Quick word you off, Mike. Yeah. Well, this is Andy N. Thank you, Marky. Today it's been a pleasure. Stay safe, guys. And Don Callas says, stay on. Spock on, mate. <laughs>